Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by PolicyPack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and to mitigate ransomware plus more. And by Liquidware, creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application layering product on the market. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have them to thank. And now this week's news. We start this week with the news from betanews.com who report that Microsoft's patch KB4532695 for Windows 10, which was released last week to address problems with Explorer that was introduced from a patch in November 2019, has itself now been found to cause issues with users complaining of blue screens of death, audio problems, and more. The blue screens of death appear to be the most common issues being reported, but some have also reported just agonizingly slow boot times too. It seems like audio problems have been a frequent occurrence on Windows 10 with these patches, as well as the breaking of third-party products and drivers. It would be interesting to see if the patches get pulled and re-released, as it is still pretty early if they choose to do that because a lot of organizations tend to stay a month behind on patches. And to make matters worse for Microsoft this week, earlier this week, Microsoft Teams went down. Of course, speculation at the time was a DNS issue because it's always DNS. But when Microsoft resolved the issue, they sent out an updated status to state that it was caused by an expired certificate. So yes, That even happens to huge companies like Microsoft. An even further reason for it to be a week to forget for Microsoft and Windows 10, on Wednesday morning, users reported that when they tried to use the search bar on their desktop, it didn't return results. The BBC reported that some discovered disabling the Bing search in their start menu resolved the issue, which then logically led people to conclude the issue was to do with the Bing integration in the search. Microsoft seemed to resolve the issue pretty quickly, but for some, it required a reboot for the fix to take. I noticed on Twitter, former FSLogic CEO Kevin Goodman tweeted that Microsoft should acquire Nectra, stating that they wrote the search for the FSLogic's Office 365 container search, which was pretty revolutionary for Office 365 roaming and must have been a pretty big part of the reason Microsoft acquired FSLogic's. It was a pretty interesting point to read as I didn't know the company Nectra, who makes Spy Studio, a tool that I really like, was instrumental in that FSLogic's feature. So that's pretty cool. And if you haven't tried Spy Studio, I suggest that you do. If you do a lot of troubleshooting of application issues and you use Procmon and, you know, sometimes that could be quite tedious and maybe you have like a known good instance where the application works fine on one machine, but it doesn't work on another machine. You're trying to figure out what the difference is. You could take the output from 
your good example and the procmon results from that take the one from the bad example and then put them into spy studio import them in and you'll get a side-by-side -side comparison that will show you you know where the differences are and maybe lead you to the answer so check out spy studio that could have been a script trick or tip to be fair and sticking with kevin goodman for this next one the great kevin goodman and brad roland shared some of their predictions for the year 2020 on vmblog.com it made for some really interesting reading one of the more interesting predictions i thought was the possibility to monetize your own private data selectively and maybe in the long term that that could become a form of universal basic income with people basically selling their private data which hey i mean a lot of us or i think pretty much all of us who use a phone or use a computer every day are already giving it away for free unknowingly well some of us knowingly but we still do it i really suggest you check out the article there's a full list of predictions and another one around desktop as a service which i completely agree with and there's much more i won't give away any more details on the podcast because it's on vm blog and i'd rather you go check it out for yourselves Give them the click, give them the view. And I'll share a link to that article with this episode so you can read it for yourself. That's going to be on 5bytespodcast.com. You'll find it under reference links for episode 110. I have to say it's really cool to read predictions like this from people like Kevin and Brad. I think I spend so much time in the IT trenches, probably like a lot of you, that you know, you're always trying to fix these issues and get stuck in the operational mode that you don't really get time to practice some of that more big picture thinking so when i hear from people like brad and kevin or even the likes of chris matthews ruben sprout christian riley steve greenberg arthur hitomi and others who have worked at that kind of elite level who may have been C-level in these large organizations, um, possibly been founders of their own companies, innovators. I'm very fortunate to have sp spent time talking with these people at community events like the CUGCs, like the E2EVCs, EUC Masters Retreats. And if you don't go to your local CUGCs or VMUGs or to a conference like the EUC Masters Retreat or E2EVCs, I strongly encourage you do. It could be a pretty good mental exercise for you because if you're just constantly in operational mode and trying to just keep your head above water in your day-to-day -day work, it could be hard to see the forest from the trees. And that gives you an opportunity to speak to people like this and to maybe get a better understanding of you know the big picture. When I recorded last week's episode, Chrome version 80 was about to get released. Well, now it has been released. I talked a little about the same site policy change and what that might mean for some of your sites not working. In fact, in a previous episode, I covered an article by Microsoft warning that some of their own sites were going to break and most likely a lot of other sites and web apps that you use in Chrome today are likely to break as well. Well, the brilliant Troy Hunt shared a deep dive on insecure 
passing of credentials via HTTP, how cookies have historically worked, and the thoughts behind the changes in Chrome 80, and also just more details around the same site policy specifically. Essentially, from Chrome 80, cookie handling will happen in one of three ways. There will be modes including none, which is what Chrome defaults to today without the same site value set. There will be lax, that sets some limits on sending cookies on a cross-origin request. And there will be strict, which has tight limits on sending cookies on a cross-origin request. Come version 80, any cookie without a same site attribute will be treated as lax by Chrome, which has some limits on sending cookies on a cross-origin request. This is really important to understand because put simply, it'll very likely break a lot of your stuff. And that's been evident with the Microsoft Azure services and other sites. In fact, some at Microsoft have been a little irked and expressing their views on this on Twitter. But Troy's blog post, I think, does talk more about why it's a good thing and makes a really good case for the pros versus those cons. He suggests that enterprise IT might need to be prepared to stay on a legacy Chrome if you run into issues with sites and web apps when testing. And the next big hurdle that was coming up for Enterprise AT was supposed to be the forced standardization to LDAPs, which would cause all kinds of problems for organizations still relying on LDAP, either knowingly or or unknowingly. So the switch was supposed to happen this month But then there was a blog from Microsoft suggesting it was going to get moved to March. And now it sounds like it may not happen until the third or fourth quarter of this year. My bet is they have heard from customers and discovered many are still hanging out on the old LDAP or possibly even just that they weren't sure. And that would be enough reason to hold off to give organizations more time to get a hold on standardizing before it's forced. Ars Technica posted a really interesting article on a new ransomware variant that not only will encrypt your data and disable your backups, but it will also go a big step further. It looks for 64 known possible processes that may be running in your environment for critical systems, including some from Honeywell, General Electric, various different licensing server types from GE Phonic, and more. So this is a pretty interesting development because it means it would not just encrypt your data and make it inaccessible, but it's also possibly going to disrupt functionality of some of your critical systems and infrastructure, possibly causing further disruption to your business. The article says the hack is minimal and crude because the malware simply kills those processes if it sees them running. And while it's played down as being minimal and crude, I think it's pretty serious because killing a process is going to kill applications. And, you know, if you kill a process for a certain application that might be doing writes to a database, or even if it's not going to cause database locks or something like that, if it's in healthcare, for example, and they kill a session, that could also mean killing a patient if a surgeon is looking at some software or 
getting readings or something like that from a system that they've just killed the process on. I mean, that's totally a worst case scenario and hopefully it would never happen, but killing a process of a key piece of infrastructure, a key system is not a small issue. And in one more terrifying cyber attack related story, bleepingcomputer.com have reported on a new Trojan sample that features a Wi-Fi worm module that allows the malware to spread to new victims connected to nearby insecure wireless networks, as reported by Binary Defense, who are security researchers. The attack starts the spreading process by using wlanapi.dll, which calls to discover wireless networks around an already infected Wi-Fi enabled computer and attempts to brute force its way in if they are password protected. Once it successfully connects the compromised device to another wireless network, the worm will start finding other Windows devices with non-hidden shares. Next, it scans for all accounts on those devices and tries to brute force the password for the administrator account and all the other users it can retrieve. After successfully breaking into an account, the worm drops a malicious payload in the form of the service.exe binary onto the victim's computer and installs a new service named Windows Defender System Service to gain persistence on the system. Now obviously dropping in a payload and then being able to execute and have it run just as though it's a service means it could pretty much have their way with your systems, particularly if they manage to get it running as an admin account. Could be something as simple as running a keylogger in the background on your machine and grabbing your other passwords, or it could be something worse than that. And the fact that it's able to spread itself this way makes it a pretty severe threat. In fact, an industry analyst has ranked it as the number one in the top 10 most prevalent threats right now. So that's a pretty big downer to end the news this week. But here's some good news. It's been a few weeks since I've done one, but here's a weekly webinar. I say it's a webinar, but it's not really. This is a recording from the Maastricht University in the Netherlands who held a symposium that went through the cyber attack they suffered a few weeks ago sharing how it happened and their lessons learned to hopefully help others. Now, the video itself is in Dutch, but you can use YouTube closed captions and the auto translate feature to at least pick up on most of it. Frankly, I tried it and it wasn't that great. But luckily, there's also a shared transcript that is in English, so you could always read along with that. And in what has also become somewhat of a rarity, this week I also have a hot job. So this episode's hot job is a role as a managed services engineer in Chattanooga, Tennessee. The role is with the Conversant Group, who according to Webster is an excellent company with great management. So if he says it, I take that as gospel. Serving as a managed services engineer, the successful candidate will provide ongoing support and service to their growing list of clients. 
You will work directly with clients to install, maintain, troubleshoot, and support IT infrastructure systems and services. You will be involved in developing and expanding their service delivery standards and best practices. You will also work with other members of their engineering, sales, and project management teams to ensure ongoing success of infrastructure and security service delivery goals and objectives. Responsibilities will include installation and configuration of messaging and collaboration technologies, including Microsoft Exchange, Office 365, SharePoint Teams, and etc. Installing and configuring server technologies like Cisco UCS, Dell PowerEdge, HP ProLiant, etc. Installing and configuring Windows operating systems like Server 2012, 2016, 2019, Windows 7, Windows 10, hopefully less Windows 7. <laughs> Engage in creating and modifying client-facing statements of work, bill of materials, and labor estimates for service delivery engagements. All pretty important stuff, but kind of boring. You'll collaborate with other engineers on design, documentation, and implementation for solutions provided by the group, and more. Qualifications should include a bachelor's or associate's degree in IT, business, operations, or relevant field experience, strongly preferred. Three plus years of Exchange and Office 365, three plus years of Windows Server operating system experience, three plus years workstation operating system experience, previous experience with perimeter security firewalls, and more. The group also is looking for pen testers and some other roles too. So if you're based in Tennessee and you're looking for a new exciting role with a great company, check it out. I'll share a link. With this episode, which again is episode 110, and you'll find that under reference links on 5bytespodcast.com. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Control Up, who have an excellent script-based actions and automated actions feature that sets it apart from its competitors, have started to share a script of the month on their own blog. And it's pretty cool because the success of the feature in ways relies on the strength of our community as most of the scripts in the script-based actions are community-driven. One such script is the Control-Up script of the month for February. Tim Riegler shared a script that, that clears the WEM registry cache settings to help in the event of a corruption. The beauty of the script of the month is that Tim gives full context for why he created the script, how it evolved, and how it has helped him. So if you've run into issues with corruptions in Thwem, you'll want to check out this article. You don't have to be a Control-Up customer for there to be value in this, as they do share the contents of the script if you want to run it outside of Control-Up. This week, Tim Mangan released an updated MSIX report card and community survey results. The report card is great as it tells you where the product is at. He also includes test results from a set of apps and even compares results using the native Microsoft packaging tool, um, using the packaging tool plus the package support framework, using admin studio and more. And it shows you a success rate for each. If you follow the report cards as they're released, it's also interesting to see the results of his testing off the same set of apps Uh, over the various different releases to see how far the product is coming in terms of compatibility. And not going off of what Tim says, but 
while there have been improvements, and if you follow the podcast, you'll know that Windows Services is no longer a limitation. There are still various different limitations, like virtual extensions, fonts, environment variables, and more. And if you want to learn about the full set of limitations, I suggest you sign up for the MSIX report card that Tim provides. Helga Klein shared a link to a Nearsoft product that allows you to easily execute programs in the system context directly from Explorer. So I used to use psexec.exe to do this via command when testing MSIX packages in a former life when I spent a lot of time on MSIX packages or on MSI on MSI packages. Whoop, slip of the tongue. This is obviously going to be a quicker, easier way than using the command, so this could come in useful for your app testing too. And finally, less useful for your IT career, but bleepingcomputer.com posted an article with details on 38,000 flash games that are archived for offline play and preservation and how you can play them. When I was in college, I coded an action script and worked with Flash version 8, I believe it was, for quite a few projects. So this is a little bit of nostalgia kick for me, and it might be for you too. Maybe just run it in a container though. I think it's a pretty good goal to get away from using Flash. Well, that's it for another episode. Thank you all so much for listening.